0: You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be.
1: Holy Spirit, I pray that for these next few moments, for those here in the room, for those watching from home, for those who will be watching later, I pray right now in this moment that you would hover over the empty spaces of our life, especially for those of us who pretend they're not there. Especially for those of us who pretend they're not there, who pretend that we don't walk in fear, who pretend that we have more together than we really do. I pray that there would just be a lifting of that burden because that life is so exhausting. It is so exhausting to pretend that we follow every precious promise in the Bible to its fullness. Father God, it's so exhausting to pretend that we've conquered our lusts and our proclivities to sin and our desire to control them. It's, it's, so, it's so exhausting to pretend. God, I thank you that you call us out from behind those trees. And before you cover us, we stand in front of you naked yet not ashamed. Not ashamed. We're so used to Saul's armor, we've actually learned to move in it. Give us the grace that David had to say, I can't move in this, and I don't want to learn how to, and I don't want to get used to this armor, this facade, this pretense that I'm impenetrable. I pray that you would lift all of that. As your word is preached this morning, I pray that it would find soft spots in our life. Because your word will heal, it won't violate It'll expose, but it won't embarrass. It'll even wound, but it won't harm. Because even your destroying is really a rebuilding. Even your tearing down is a building up. Even your rebuke is a forgiveness. Even your punishment is a being made whole. In your name we pray, and everybody said... You may be seated this morning. Rosanna, race to the pulpit. The Holy Spirit has messed everything up. I'm going to read first, and then Rosanna is going to read. And I want you to listen carefully. This is after the resurrection. Peter and James have entered the temple, and I want you to listen to the words that they speak in the temple. We're just going to pick up right in the middle. And when they had brought them, Peter and James had just been arrested. And the people who arrested them brought them. They set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus so far so good, and then they go wrong, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. Error number one. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior, yes. To give repentance to Israel, yes. And forgiveness of sins, yes. And we are witnesses to these things, yes. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Error number two. They said a lot of really good things, and they said some things that are very, very wrong. Because much of the Bible is not prescriptive, it's descriptive, and sometimes it describes our mistakes. So we can see them and not make them. The two errors, this Jesus who you killed, and error number two, the Holy
0: Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him? Rosanna. Reading from the Gospel of John twenty nineteen through 31 On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many things, many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: So... That last word that was given right in the middle of Stephanie saying that there's space between who we are and who we want to be. There always should be space between who we are and who we want to be. Woe to the person who thinks they are right now the fullness of what they ever should be. So sometimes the devil speaks to us as if we have low self-esteem when actually what we have is humility. When actually what we have is humility. It is humility, not low self-esteem, to know that you still have a ways to go. I know me, and I know that a lot has gotten better in my life. A lot of you can attest to this. But I also know that I know God has a long way to go with me. And that's not low self-esteem. That is the humility of knowing that God accepts me how I am, but loves me so much not to leave me how I am. Don't let anybody tell you that your value depends on that growth. Your value is the same today, yesterday, and forever. That's That's why it's a joy to grow, not a pain. Jesus. Jesus is not a security guard. Salem Tabernacle, he's a priest. Priests go to God on behalf of the people and then come back to the people with what God gave them. Jesus in one way ascended to the Father when he was lifted up on the cross. He ascended. He was high end when he was on the cross. And he went before God as Aaron went before God many many times bearing the sins of the people on his physical body. And then he came back to us three days later offering us the life that the Father offered him early in the morning on the first day of the week. And then in 42 more days we will talk about Jesus actually ascending to the Father and disappearing from our sight only to come back again in the form of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus ascended to the Father on the cross and then he came back three days later with life from the Father. Jesus ascended to the Father on the day of ascension and he came back a few days later with the power of the Holy Spirit for us to carry out our mission. He's not a security guard. That's what the Romans did to the tomb. Doesn't work out very well. Jesus is a priest who always goes to the Father on behalf of us, and then brings us what we need from the Father. And he does this in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is how Jesus can go to the Father and still be present to us. And the Spirit is how Jesus can leave the Father to come to us and still be present to the Father. We must be priests and not security guards. And let me say... The number one area where we need to stop being security guards is over our own lives. Because if I treat myself like a tyrant, always feeling like I fall short, and I won't be valuable until I stop, I will never see Jesus the way he's meant to be seen, and I will never see my neighbor and love them as myself. When we say the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed and we recite the words that have held the church together for thousands and thousands of years, part of what we say is, he was born of the virgin and suffered under, everybody say born, everybody say suffered. You all say suffered better than born. We need to change this. Everybody say born. Born. Everybody say suffered. Suffered! Like, we we can't be this way. There are only two human beings, the church has been telling us for 2,000 years, there are only two human beings that we will ever be like. We will either be like Mary, through whom Christ is born, Grows and is delivered to the world that needs him, or we will be like Pontius Pilate, washing our hands of all things complicated and using truth to overpower people and crucifying ourselves, Jesus, and our neighbor. One is a priest, Mary, who went to the Lord, received not something but someone from the Lord. And then delivered what God gave her to the world. Pontius Pilate says, don't you know I have the power to condemn or release you? We often say over our own lives, don't you know, self, that I have the power to condemn you or release you? And Jesus will say to us exactly what he said to Pontius Pilate. You don't have any power over yourself. And if you do, I've given it to you. So that you can love yourself. So that you can love your neighbor as yourself. What are some characteristics of Mary as priest? Mary didn't try to understand things. She said, how can these things be? Pilate said, what is truth? There's a difference. How can these things be? is a phrase that enters a mystery and a complicated conversation. What is truth is a statement that many of us fall prey to, thinking that if we have the right doctrine, the right truth, the right way of living, the right morality, then we can have control over our own lives and accidentally, or sometimes on purpose, have control over the lives of others. No, no, no. It doesn't work like that. Have you ever had five good days and then did something real stupid, or am I the only one in the room? Did somebody just say I'm the o- <laughs> Sophia? Oh. She's not wrong. Today I put on my glasses and she said, you look like a real pastor now. And then I closed the door after I put her booster seat in the car, and she said, You're also a lazy dad. Pray that my daughter gets saved from me. Mary didn't, Mary says, How shall these things be? And the angel says, Oh, easy. The Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you, and that womb of yours, that empty space, is just going to be filled with a baby we got children in the room, so we'll just leave it there. And she's like, cool. That, she doesn't understand it. What does it say? She treasured these things in her heart. There's a difference between seeking for understanding as stability and treasuring the mystery in our heart. When I tell you this is actually life and death, When we think that we have to understand or that life is understandable or that sin is understandable or that grace is understandable or that Easter Sunday is something we can lay hold of and understand, we will limit it. It will be a small world after all that we are living in. We will reduce it to something we can hold and then wield over the lives of ourselves and other people. Mary treasures these things. She treasures what she doesn't understand, but she knows it's a treasure nonetheless. The one who treasures the mysteries is the one in whom Christ grows. The one who demands what is truth is the one who washes his hands of Jesus and sends him away to be crucified to appease the crowds. conscious pilot i have power over you there are some of us who have the christian life so reduced to do's and don'ts musts and must nots that we say lord if i could just have all of my children around the table i'll know that everything is okay salem you could have a full table and a whole lot could not be okay A whole lot could not be okay. But some of us would kid ourselves into thinking, if the family's in my house and everybody's there, we finally made it. You didn't make it. And sometimes, everyone being where you want them to be will be the thing that blinds you from the healing that actually needs to take place. I'll I'll step slightly deeper into it. Lord, if our church could just be diverse, then I'll know everything is okay. And sometimes diversity is the very thing that blinds you from the racial healing that needs to take place in a job or a community or a church. Salem, we do a good job with this, but there's more healing that needs to take place. And those of you who got mad that I just said that, you're the one in whom the healing needs to take place. (laughs) Peter and James stand in the temple and they say to the Pharisees who just arrested them the Christ whom you crucified let's just talk about what they get wrong for a moment they start to be security guards and not priests we are all called to be priests. We are all called to come into the presence of God on behalf of the people who are not here and then leave having received something from the Holy Spirit to bring to those who are not here. Yes, some of us are called to work really, really hard on behalf of those who are not working hard so we can offer them something that will help them work hard. Parents, I want you to hear that. I will bless you when you work hard. It's something that almost never works. Okay. Everybody's attention has been gotten. Parenting, the racial stuff, here we are. Everybody's attention is here. The Jesus whom you crucified. First of all, let's just take it literally for a second. The Jews did not crucify Jesus. They couldn't. That's why they had to mend their, their religion with politics because they couldn't do what they wanted to do. So they needed to coerce with the political elites, the Romans, and get them to do their bidding. It's disastrous when the church lines up with carnal politics. But the Jews also are the ones who delivered him to the Romans. So they're right there. Yes, the Romans crucified Jesus. Yes, the Jews crucified Jesus. But the few nights ago, Jesus looked at those two apostles and said, this is my body broken for you because you're also crucifying me. But once the world starts to not do what we want it to do, we become security guards and not priests, and we say, you're the ones who crucified him. We are the ones who crucified him. I am one of the ones who crucified him. And I'm always wrong when I look at somebody else and say, you are the one who crucified him. They're wrong for saying that. Yes, it's Scripture, but sometimes Scripture is given to us to shed light on what the wrong thing sounds like. But then they say, and he gave the Holy Spirit to those who obey him. How many can say they've obeyed Jesus? This is not a trick question. Have you made some good decisions in your life? How many of you have done it without the help of the Holy Spirit? I'm just going to say, I'm just going to go out on a limb. You need the Holy Spirit to be able to obey him. When I'm not functioning in the Holy Spirit, the things I do, funny maybe, tragic sometimes, but we wouldn't call them obedient. When we ever accidentally get it right, it's the work, the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. So how could God give the Spirit to those who obey him when you need to have the Spirit in order to obey him? And Jesus is the one who said, like a good father, my dad will give the Holy Spirit to those who, say it loud, ask. To those who ask, not to those who obey. But then, in the upper room, in the text that Rosanna just read, he walks in and he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Who asked? Nobody. He gave them the Holy Spirit just because he loves them. I'm going to be nice to Sophia today. Not because of what she just said. But because I love her. And that face is so adorable. So they're wrong. They're gatekeeping. They're becoming security guards saying, you can only have the Holy Spirit if you obey. But we treat ourself that way. We say of our own self... You clearly don't have the Holy Spirit because you're wrong, you're messed up, you didn't parent right, you didn't love right, you didn't serve right, you don't serve enough, you don't go enough, you don't give enough. And we say, surely I need to do better so that I can have the Holy Spirit. And God is saying, first, let me priest you so that you can be a priest for those around you, starting with, you don't have the Holy Spirit because you're obedient or disobedient, you have the Spirit because I love you. That is why. God's choice to give the Spirit is the only choice that ever matters. So how does Jesus priest us? Ever notice that we claim we call Thomas doubting Thomas when A, everybody doubted first, and B, he's the only one who wasn't in the room for fear of the Jews? The ten disciples are in the room, doors locked for fear of the Jews. Thomas is not there. And we treat him like he's not there because he doesn't have faith, but maybe he's the only one who wasn't afraid. Sometimes the scriptures tell us things to show us where we're at in our judgmentalism. everybody remember the rich young ruler what must I do to have eternal life and Jesus says go sell all that you have and then you can follow me and it says he walked away sorrowful because he had many possessions why do we assume he didn't sell all that he had because he was sorrowful about it you go sell all that you have and tell me that you're having a good day I don't even have that much and I would be upset to sell what I have We treat him like garbage because he walked away sad as if we would have skipped to go sell all that we've worked hard to have. The woman at the well who had five husbands and the one she's with now not being her husband. Why do we assume that she's promiscuous and hasn't suffered five tragedies? Because in Jewish culture, no one would have married her if she cheated. So the fact that four other guys married her shows that the reason why those relationships ended wasn't adultery. It shows us how we judge the bad thief. Why do we assume, just because the Bible doesn't say it, the the Gospel of John was clear today. There are so many things that Jesus did that aren't written down. How do we know that the conversation with the bad thief was one of those great things, but it wasn't written? We just judge them. Steve, thank you for turning that AC on. I love you so much. Right now, I'm melting. And whoever is about to be annoyed that it's going to get cold in here, don't care. Don't be a security guard. Be a, be a priest. I don't care. You, you prepare a sermon and come preach to you, and then I'll you know let you control the thermostat. We have to realize that we are judgmental with other people because we are judgmental with ourselves and we don't let ourselves off the hook at all and we treat ourselves like garbage assuming we wouldn't have sold assuming that we are the bad thief assuming all of these things about ourselves and God is trying to rescue us from the clutches of the legalism that we execute over our own life. We cannot love people on mission on Jesus's mission if we are not okay with who we are, dense and all. Marks and all. So let's talk about three ways that Jesus priests us so that we could be comfortable in our own skin. Number one, in this story that we just read, Jesus offers presence without violation. He offers presence without violation. Simply put, he shows up in our life with the doors locked. And when he's in, the doors are still locked and there's no signs of forced entry. He enters our lives two ways. Behold, I stand at the door end. Or sometimes he just comes in. He knocks when he knows you can answer. He shows up When he knows you couldn't answer if he knocked, sit under that for a second. When he knows you'll answer, he'll knock. When he knows you can't answer today, you can't answer in this year of your life, you can't answer in this whirlwind season you're going through, you can't answer in the darkness that you're feeling. When you can't answer or when you won't answer, he shows up. Why? Because the disciples locked the doors because they wouldn't answer. And Jesus shows up, but he, the doors remain locked. This isn't what we shouldn't be impressed with is that Jesus could somehow walk through a wall. What we should be impressed with is that he's so gentle, he could enter our life and not cause any harm or violation to it. Your own false security, he will leave intact. He will enter anyway, and he will speak peace to you until you're willing to unlock the doors from the inside. So if you feel like you haven't opened to him recently, he's in there anyway. He's in there anyway. Show Levi's picture, Ian, if you don't mind. By the way, happy birthday to Ian today. (laughs) Dan, if you ever get my daughter to do that again, I'll kick you out of Salem Tabernacle. So real fast, just the men, just the men. Men, do you appreciate Ian? Men, do you want to give Ian something nice for his birthday? Sign up to put chairs away after the mother-daughter tea. Otherwise, you don't love Ian. Because then he'll have to be the one to do it. To the two of you who signed up, thank you. To the rest of you, sign up today. If you're watching this or listening to this on Thursday in your car, sign up. Okay? Tell them happy birthday one more time, men. Jesus comes in and doesn't violate. He doesn't violate. And Levi drew this picture of us leaving the tomb, Jesus standing there next to the tomb, towering over the grave. That preaches a little bit. But what caught my attention here, and I'm going to be very careful how I describe this, there's a tree with one branch on it. With what seems like something like a little hook or something like that on the end. In 2,000 years of Christian art, and you all adults, you know what I'm about to say. Judas is on that tree. Because we know the story, yes? Give me a little amen if you know what I'm talking about. Okay. In a child's rendering of this, the tree that Judas died on is now green and Judas isn't there. Because Jesus heals everybody. And just like his mom and Joseph took him off the tree, he also took Judas off the tree. We need children to tell us that. And some of us will say, well, of course a child would say that, but they're not theologian. A, neither are you. And B, we need children to tell us things. He doesn't violate, he heals. He shows up, And he takes you off the things you've hung yourself on, the judgment you've hung yourself on, the condemnation you've hung yourself on, the guilt you've hung yourself on. And that tree begins to bear fruit. This is what he does. And we can't love people rightly until we receive this kind of love from him. So he, Jesus, offers presence without violation. The next thing he offers is peace without violation transaction. Peace without transaction. Just every word of this story matters so deeply. Jesus shows up without knocking or breaking the locks. And the first thing he says is, peace be with you. And he speaks peace over their fear. He speaks peace over their trepidation. He speaks peace over their own sense of guilt and hysteria. That's easy to to understand why he would do that. But notice when you read the text, they don't see him yet. Thank you, E, for printing out all the verses for me, even though I said you wouldn't need to. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. When he came in and said, Peace be with you, they didn't see him. When he showed them his scars, they saw him. We will never truly see ourselves until we let God show us the marks on our own body and how they're healing. Then we can see ourselves. Then we can see Him. Only Jesus is gentle enough to point out the areas where you're marked up and have it be a healing experience. Other people do not reserve that right over your life. But Jesus can, because He shows you your marks in His that He was willing to have for yours but notice something else. He speaks peace to their fear. But then when it says they were glad when they saw the Lord, he speaks peace again because both our fear and our gladness need to be anchored in the peace of God because without peace, our positivity will send us far from home in the same way our negativity will. If Jesus doesn't speak peace to our gladness, we will be optimistic but not hopeful. What is the difference? Optimism merely ignores what is bad and focuses on what is good. Have you ever met an optimistic person? They're annoying. Yes, children, yes. Have you ever met somebody who's just always like, how is your day? My day is going so well. My week is going well. I don't focus on the bad. I just focus on the good. Keep smoking that. Good. Good for you. I, on the other hand, know things are going wrong in my life. Hope and optimism are very different. Optimism ignores what is bad and says things like God has it under control or Jesus is going to take care of that or I'm not going to walk in fear. I'm just going to ignore it. That is not Christian, it's satanic, if you want me to be very honest. I'm dead serious. Hope looks at what's wrong and says you won't be wrong forever. Hope looks at what's broken and says you won't be broken forever. Hope holds the things that are falling apart, saying, I'm just like, like God told Paul to stay on the boat no matter what. And when the boat shipwrecked, he hung on a plank because he wasn't going to get off the boat. And sometimes we got to hold on to the planks and splinters and pieces of those things that have fallen apart, saying, I'm not going to be positive, I'm not going to be optimistic, I'm going to be hopeful that somehow this boat is going to get put back together again, even though I just have one small piece of it and the rest is under the water. That's what hope is. So he speaks peace to our negativity, and he speaks peace to our positivity, because he wants both to become hope. Salem, you can't ignore what's wrong with you? But you don't need to look at it in a judgmental, condemning way. You hold what you struggle with. And by holding it, Christ grows in it. And as he grows in it, something is birthed in it. Like C.S. Lewis said, heaven once attained will not just work from that moment forward, but heaven will work backwards and turn every gravesite into a garden. Can we put Jake Ulrich's picture up there? I love this. (laughs) This is called God's eye. And as you see, God's eye, all the people are there. The temple is there. Jesus is there riding in victoriously. But as is like the fingerprint of Jake's pictures, there's always a crazy person coming down upside down with a bad hair day. This is how I know it's not me, and I feel pretty good about that. In every one of his pictures, there's always a person who's just not having the best day in the world. Has anybody felt like this guy? Here's what I love about this picture. When I first looked at it, I was like, you know, why isn't that person who's having a bad day in God's eye? And then the Holy Spirit says, no, 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 this this child is more prophetic than you realize. The whole paper is God's eye. The circle is the part of God's eye that we understand. Because we only understand him accepting good people. But his eye is big enough even for the people who don't know him yet. His eye is big enough for the part of you that still hasn't submitted to him yet. His eye is wide enough and can see enough to know that your future is bright because he's going to be a part of it. You have to know this. This is how he priests you. He priests you. He heals what's wrong, not by condemning, but by loving. Because love turns people's behavior around faster than anything else possibly could. It's always true. Finally, he shows up with presence without violation, peace without transaction, and mission without distance. Mission without distance. Why do we say that? Because he said as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you, but doesn't let them leave before he gives them himself. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus doesn't demand of you what he's not willing to carry for you. His yoke is, and his burden is, other way around. Come on. You're going to shout stuff out, I mean. but we don't condemn, so fine. His yoke is light, his burden is easy, whatever you want to say. We can't demand of ourselves what we know God isn't willing to carry with us, number one. There is nothing that Jesus asks of you that he's not willing to bear, not just with, but for you. And so when it comes to us placing demand, especially the demand to change, on other people's lives, our spouse, our friends, our children. You cannot demand what you're also not willing to carry. This is why preachers need to be very careful what they demand. Because I cannot demand from this church what I am not willing to hold up with you. If I'm not willing to get into the mess of it, I can't preach on it. If I'm not willing to bear up the consequences of it with you, I'm not allowed to say it. Because you can only demand what you're willing to carry with and for the person you're speaking to. Things go so wrong when we demand all of this change, but we don't help carry it. I think there's a verse for this where Jesus says, you tie heavy burdens onto people's necks, but you don't lift a finger to help them carry it. So first, ease up on yourself. Everything Jesus has ever asked of you. He's willing to carry it with you. And when you drop it, he'll carry it for you all the way to Calvary, all the way through death, all the way into life. Let's show uh, Savannah Cotto's pick. (laughs) I love this because it speaks to exactly what we just said. There's Jesus on the left. He's risen. There's us. Now, this is great. Look at us. We have four arms. But this is amazing because, you know, this picture of us shows exactly how we view ourselves, but then how God views us. We see ourselves unable to lift our hands sometimes, dejected. I'm not doing enough. But when Jesus looks at us, what does he see? He sees both hands raised because he knows he can lift them, because he knows he will lift them. And what Jesus will do, he treats as done. This is who he is. So even if you feel like you can't lift those hands, even if you feel like you don't deserve to lift those hands, they're already up. Because your spirit knows more than your conscious mind does. Your soul that already knows Christ is so far more advanced beyond our mind. That's why Paul said we need to be renewed. We we need to be transformed by the renewing of our, never set our soul or our spirit because it's already renewed. Our mind needs to catch up to what's already happened in our life. We put so much emphasis on the conscious mind. It is the last thing to come around. Everything else already has. All of this matters because Jesus says, when you forgive the sins of others, they're forgiven. And when you don't, they're not. What is he talking about? Here's one easy way to understand it. You're so vital to the world that when you forgive people, they will truly believe they're forgiven. And when you don't, they will be confused over the fact that Christ has. Your forgiveness, your love over your neighbor is so important they will see it as God's love or not love. So many people have left so many churches not because God has failed them but because we have. Because they see a a link between a Christian's treatment over their life and God's treatment over their life. And why is that link there? Because this is what Jesus said. When you forgive, they'll believe me that I forgive. And when you refuse to forgive, they won't believe me that I forgive. So we need to forgive our own darn self first so that we are free to forgive others so that the world might know. Some of us are here. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Let's stand to our feet this morning. John, just kidding. You know, you know, you know, you know. You know. John and I have this ongoing situation. <laughs> he said I'm coming, Pastor. Here. Yeah, that's Every time we come to the table of the Lord, we get to experience what Thomas experienced. And that is, we get to touch the marks of Christ's body. We get to put our hands on the brokenness of it. And so many of us come to this table like security guards and not priests. We wonder why we have to do it. Is it really real? Is it superstition? Is it control? It is the very way that Jesus said we can still interact with him. He said it. And Paul even went so far as to say in First Corinthians 11, the cup that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Jesus? And the bread that we break, is it not a participation in his body? It's not a symbol. It's not a memorial. It is a participation in the body of Jesus. We get to touch the wounds. We get to see him the way that we can understand him until we see him in a way that our eyes have not yet been able to understand. And every time you touch this bread, it's Jesus saying, I'll wait eight days for you. I'll wait 50 days for you. I'll wait 100 days. I will wait as long as I need to wait for you to come and for you to touch me, and for you to know that I've already healed you. Because when you leave this place in that assurance, you will have an overabundance of that assurance to give to the next person you meet. But you have to receive it over your own life. We are not called to be Pontius Pilots over our life. We're not called to wash our hands of ourselves. We're called to understand that the high priest himself has bore everything you couldn't carry for you already and is giving you the grace right now to bear the load of those around you that you need to bear, that need it bore for them. It's a long, arduous journey. It's going to take the rest of our life and all the other time we have after that. It's a slow carry, but you can carry it because he's carrying it with you. It starts by being very real about the things that aren't right, because we can't offer God what we refuse to look at. We can't offer him what we're insecure about. We can't offer him what we have been so proud of. I do not walk in fear like other people do. You only say that so much because you're terrified. Finally, be honest. Tell him how you really feel. Because what we offer him, he receives and offers it back healed. It starts with this bread. These are wafers from some online store that we get them on. What is this? When we offer it to him, And he gives it back, looking exactly the same. It's not the same. Some people are going to tell you, I know you. You're the person you always were. I look the same. But I'm not the person I always was. And number one reason why I can tell you, me personally, here's my testimony. Why I'm not the person that I used to be, because I finally know that about myself now. I know I don't have it all together. I know there's a lot for Jesus. Jesus has a full-time job. Right here to work on all this until he comes back. And I might be one of the reasons why he hasn't come back yet, because he's taking a break. The old me used to show everybody how together I had it. The new me, I'm not going to tell you all the details, but I don't have it all together. I don't. And neither do you. And we have to be honest about it. So, what I want to do is I want to pray that the Lord blesses this bread so that when it goes into our hands, it's blessed. And I'm going to ask, uh, in one moment, I'm going to ask Elder Bill to stand over here with one of the bulls. I'm going to ask, I didn't ask you this earlier, Elder Paul to stand over here with one of the bulls. I want you to come to the table, and then I just want you to spend a minute or two just, just offering God some areas that you've just closed off in your life and letting him in, whether, whether you're answering the door for him knocking or whether he's just there and you need to turn around and see that he's been there the whole time just want you to have that moment to heal so that we can be good lovers of creation when we leave here and all the people we're going to meet because guess what Salem there's some annoying people out there they're aggravating and they need us to love their aggravatingness they need us to love their inconveniencing selves because not everybody can be as easygoing as we are and perfect as we are they just can't So receive this food as you being Thomas, touching the body of Jesus and hearing him say your name. And then leaving with the anointing to love other people in a way that we haven't been able to. Lord Jesus, on the night when you were betrayed, you took bread. And when you had given thanks, you broke it. And you said, this is my body which is broken for you. As often as you come to this table, sit down with me and see my marks. Touch my hands and remember me. And after supper, you took the cup of wine and you said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Not like the covenant that's always telling you what's not right but the new covenant that is always telling you what God is healing. This is the blood of the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins, shed for you and for many as often as you drink it. Drink it in remembrance of me. Sit down as a friend made whole and have a meal with me. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would descend on this bread and make it for your people, the body and blood of Jesus the food and drink of new and unending life in him and sanctify us also forgive us of our sins and make us whole in our own view of who we are and then give us the anointing to slowly begin to make those around us whole through the power of your holy spirit because you've given us your mission i pray that we wouldn't feel missionless but that every person we see is an opportunity To bring glory to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Nourish on them in your heart by faith. Spend some time at the altar. Let the Holy Spirit wash over you. And then I just want to pray this prayer real fast before we come. Jesus, we believe you. All we heard is true. You break the bread. We recognize you. You are the fire that burns within us. Use us to light the world. You are the fire that burns within us. Use us to light the world. If you're on this side of the room, you can come from the back to the front and receive over here. If you're on this side of the room, you can come over here and then spend a few moments at the altar.